Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And what another week it's been uh, politically. I mean, we have now seen our first primaries of the 2022 season, Ohio and Indiana. Uh, Ohio, some of the big ones. We'll get into it uh, pretty soon. But first and foremost, I want to continue, I guess, a little bit of follow-up from last week when we talked about New York State's lines being declared unconstitutional. I know redistricting is such a boring topic for so many people, but for the political junkies out there who relish this idea, it is absolutely huge. But before that even... We have to wish uh, Israel, State of Israel, a happy 74th birthday, Yom Hatzma'ut, today, even though it's a muktam, right? We we don't do it on a Friday. We don't do it on the Shabbos. I'm not sure if they do it on a Sunday. I'm not sure exactly where, um, you know, what the parameters are. But officially, Israel is celebrating 74th birthday on May the 5th, also coinciding with Cinco de Mayo. So go for that combination of Israeli and Mexican food. If you can find it, uh, I'm sure it's uh, something to behold. Or Mexican food in Israel or Israeli food in Mexico, if you can go for that one at the same time. I know this should not, I don't want to veer into the taco bowl. So I want to just make sure that uh, I don't get into that. Um, So let's talk about the redistricting, the Democrats, and, you know, this is like the soap opera. So the lines were thrown out and a judge had said that everybody could resubmit new lines and probably they're going to be much fairer because he appointed a special master. The Democrats in New York, they could have taken, they could have had an opportunity to go ahead and uh, do this. Even while this case was winding its way through the courts, they were so arrogant that they decided not to do so and not to have. So the legislature is entirely out of the picture at this point. Lo and behold, uh, you have if you have any evidence that some Democrats in New York state are panicking. Lo and behold, I lead you to the pick of Lieutenant Governor for Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado by Governor Kathy Hochul. Uh, she not only will Delgado be the vice presidential, sorry, the lieutenant governor uh, nominee for um, or lieutenant governor, I should say, pardon me. Uh, he will be the lieutenant governor of the state of New York, uh, I guess, as soon as they can uh, swear him in. He will vacate his House seat. Uh, I'm not sure if that creates a special election for House, but he will also be on the ballot for 2022 for Lieutenant Governor together with uh, Hochul on that ticket. Now, strangely and interestingly enough, uh, the Democrats in the legislature, not all of them, but some of them, did the governor a big favor uh, by, and Senate Democrats voted, many of them voted against that, a sizable number, I should say, uh, voted against allowing Brian Benjamin, the recently arrested, recently indicted um for corruption, for selling his, uh, selling, uh, uh, for giving out state money in return for, uh, for return for campaign contributions, illegal campaign contributions, that is, and to fund his failed race for state controller, uh, Antonio, uh, so Benjamin out 
Antonio Delgado in. What's interesting, of course, politically, is that Delgado represents a swing district in the middle of the state, right smack in the middle of the state, the Hudson Valley, uh, actually the Catskills, uh, south of Albany, going all the way west, which had been redrawn all the way west until Binghamton. So to include a lot more Democrats, to make it a lot more favorable for Delgado. Delgado had a huge amount of money in the bank. He has opted out of to win a seat again in Congress, had a strong challenger in the personage of Marcus Molinaro, the Dutchess County Executive, a former state uh, New York State Republican nominee for governor back in 2018. Yes, that was the last time around. And I guess Delgado just decided uh, if I win, I'm in the minority. And if I lose, obviously I lose. So I have a better chance of becoming lieutenant governor and staying lieutenant governor in order to do that, but not exactly a ringing endorsement of Democratic prospects. Okay, so thinking about Democratic prospects for 2022, uh, let's talk about their prospects for trying to get the lines, the heavily gerrymandered illegal lines, unconstitutional lines that they were trying to get passed in the state of New York to create a 22 to 4 majority. Uh, The idea would you would have four safe Republican seats and 22 relatively safe a safe and relatively safe Democratic seats to pad, to protect the the Democratic majority in the House of Representatives, that New York was going to deliver that for them. Governor Hochul actually said it overall that she is going, that is their aim to go ahead and help Democrats win election to the U.S. House. So they lost in state court, as we mentioned. We mentioned this, okay? 4-3 majority that, uh, and this is with a 6-1 to one Democrat on the, uh, Democrat to Republican on the Court of Appeals. And this is, so Democrats clearly, many Democrats were clearly dis- felt that these lines were wrong and most of the good government groups that were in the, in the, had to comment on these lines. They felt they were, uh, violated the, state constitution, which does not allow for political gerrymanders. We don't have to go into that specifically. But what they cleverly decided to do is they were going to throw this case into federal court and try and get the federal courts to upend the state court decision, what the New York state courts had determined by saying, well, we basically don't have time to go ahead and hold elections under. uh, We have to use the lines that were created, that we created, the unconstitutional, that were called unconstitutional, that rendered unconstitutional because a couple years ago, there was a federal judge's order ordering primaries to be on June 28th because New York State could not agree. The New York State legislature could not agree on where to on what date to hold its primary elections on. So a federal judge said they had been holding them too late in the cycle, meaning early September, to get federal and overseas ballots out. And they in order to comply with that order to allow all military and others to vote in federal elections, the federal judge moved it to the last Tuesday in June. Now they have to have a hold of primary in August as the state judges have ordered. And the Democrats said, oh, well, that conflicts with the federal judge's order. We're going to throw this before a federal judge. So they did. They went to Judge Lewis Kaplan in, uh, in Manhattan. And uh, the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York, and they tried to get a stay to have the order stayed. Um, 
let's just say Judge Kaplan, not a Republican. Okay, let's just make that clear. He actually presided, oh, uh, sorry, he was appointed by Bill Clinton. Okay, presided over a number of actually very uh, significant uh, trials over uh, over his career. So he's a no-nonsense type of guy. He was, uh, uh, and his, let's just say, half an hour, as was reported on Twitter by Bill Mahoney of Politico, half an hour into the first round of arguments on the suit, the judge says this is a Hail Mary pass, the object of which is to take a long shot try at having the New York primaries conducted on district lines that the state says are unconstitutional. That's what it is. No, you better start convincing me that there's a clear likelihood of success, because when you go for a stay, you have to say that there is a clear likelihood of success. So he said this to the Democrats' lawyers. And then at the end, uh, and this is just, you know, clearly calling into question even the good faith efforts of the Democratic lawyers. Julius Kaplan says, I would be hard pressed to imagine a scenario that would cast into greater disrepute the rationality, the fairness, the consistency of the holding of elections in this great country than to precipitate that, which is essentially to allow the illegal gerrymander to stand, which is what the Democrats wanted. They knew that the state court had declared these lines to be unconstitutional, but they basically wanted to run out the clock on them and have the voters vote in 2022 on lines that were unconstitutional. So when we talk about election integrity and we talk about ballot integrity and we talk about integrity in general, um, I don't want to, there is just no way to even look politics is, can be dirty. Well, we should, both sides should put that on the table. And this idea that somehow Democrats are righteous and Republicans are evil when it comes to election issues. Uh, if you want to complain about elections here in the state of New York, right now it's one party rule and it's entirely about Democrats. In other states, it might be entirely about Republicans. But here, the blame as far as this corruption that we've seen and allowing changing the rules in the middle of the game to allow Brian Benjamin to go off the ballot so it can help Governor Hochul. This is corruption that's coming entirely for from Democrats. As I said, in other cases, it might be from Republicans, but let's call it for what it is. And there is no monopoly on election shenanigans, if you will, from a single party. Don't be fooled by that type of narrative. Okay, the biggest troubling thing of the week before we get to the lessons learned from Ohio is this spat uh, from Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. Uh, it's just, uh, well, I mean, we know about historical revisionism when it comes to uh, totalitarian regimes, and we know that you know there is this attempt always, with regard, particularly with anti-Semites and anti-Semitism, to talk, uh, to excuse, or if you will, just totally pervert the nature of anti-Semitism. But this whole campaign by the Russians to justify their calling of the Ukrainian government as a Nazi regime, when the prime minister, of course, is Jewish, is has just gone too far at this point. And, you know, of course, Israel is in a tough position because Russia literally sits on Israel's border in Syria. And Israel wants to take actions against the Iran and the Syrians when necessary. And that's something that needs to be coordinated with Russia. And Israel has had a relationship with Russia, so much so that Natalia Bennett went to try and mediate this. I mean, probably a fool's errand. But 
there are many there are many in Israel with very historical ties to Russia, including uh, many of the oligarchs who make their home in Russia who are Jewish. But this is just unbelievable. The, the Russian foreign minister claimed that Adolf Hitler had Jewish blood, and then the most ardent anti-Semites are usually Jews. Okay, so let's just take that in for a second so we can understand that there's a context here, right? There must He must have been talking about something in that uh, rep- responding to a specific question, and he must have kind of gotten it wrong because what's he talking about? So he was asked by an Italian uh, reporter who was interviewing him and said, when asked how Ukraine could be denazified when its president, Vladimir Zelensky, is Jewish, Lavrov replied, so what if Zelensky is Jewish? The fact does not negate the Nazi elements in Ukraine. I believe that Hitler also had Jewish blood. And in fact, some of the worst anti-Semites are Jews. Donnie Dayan, who a friend who was the consul general here in New York, is now the chairman, the worldwide chairman of Yad Vashem. He says these comments are false, delusional, dangerous, and worthy of all condemnation. As conspiracy theorists have long pushed the lie that Hitler was in fact Jewish. It's just incredible to say that... Hitler was Jewish. And the idea here is that, of course, you know, anti-Semites can wash their hands of the Holocaust because, of course, the Jews did it to themselves. This is this whole line, of course, in the Arab world that the Nazi, uh, that the Zionists collaborated with the Nazis. That whole idea, the Zionist collaboration, and they nitpick certain facts of that, that there was collaboration with the Nazis in order that the Zionists should be able to get their state after the Holocaust. It's a canard. It's a blood libel. It's disgusting. And it's just unforgivable and outrageous. In fact, Naftali Bennett, prime minister, finally commented that he views Lavrov's comments with the utmost severity. His words are untrue and their intentions are wrong. The goal of such lies to accuse the Jews themselves of the most awful crimes in history, which were perpetrated against them and thereby absolve Israel's enemies of responsibility. As I have already said, no war in our time is like the Holocaust and is comparable to the Holocaust. The use of the Holocaust of the Jewish people as a political tool must cease immediately. And we've talked about that. And that is, whether it's left or right, the use of the Holocaust is just incredible. I mean, the idea, of course, you know, we've seen it with regard to vaccines. It's when we use the Holocaust and invoke it in a trivial manner. There's one week after Holocaust Remembrance Day, Yom HaShoah, it, it cheapens it and it just allows everybody else to continue with this just awful canard. So we'll take the Democrats first, and there's really one, only one real interesting race with regard to the Democrats in Ohio, which was specifically Ohio 11. Um, that was the rematch of Nina Turner, the progressive against the incumbent, uh, Chantel Brown, in a heavily Jewish district in northeastern Ohio, but at the southeastern part of the Cleveland area, University Heights, Beachwood, that area, heavily Jewish. Um, And you had a progressive AOC. Bernie Sanders supported Nina Turner, who had lost last time. Now she lost two to one. Um, AOC came in with a last minute endorsement Uh, the day before the primary came in. Bernie Sanders had pot had back Turner, but the establishment, including the progressive caucus in the house actually invite, uh, uh, supported Chantel Brown. 
Turner had tried at some point to make her to improve her relationship with the Jewish community, but she was viewed as hostile to Israel. And I think that that was essentially what had happened. Um, you know, in some ways, this is a proxy battle between the two sides, the establishment, you know, the Joe Biden wing, um, the Jim Clyburn wing of the party. The Congressional Black Caucus went in heavily for Brown. And uh, Sanders, as I said, AOC and others uh, trying to add to their squad. Now, they definitely will add to their squad, probably, because there are Democrats that look poised to win their primaries uh, in their um, uh, in in the coming uh, cycle who will probably win some safe Democratic seats and, you know, some who will probably be squad type. But they did not win this one. And that was uh, certainly something. Okay, let's talk about the big one, which is the J.D. Vance win over Josh Mandel and others, um, Matt Dolan uh, and others. It was a very decisive win, I think, by eight points over Mandel. And, you know, if the anti-Trump people really felt that this was going to be where they were going to take their stand in Ohio, they certainly got it wrong. Not only did Trump win and the Trump like candidates were the top two, meaning Trump fans, because Mandel, even after he got does did not get the Trump endorsement, Mandel still tied himself to Trump with the ads. If they thought that Ohio was going to come somehow slip away from the Trump and there was going to be the one non-Trump candidate, uh, State Senator Matt Dolan, a co-owner of the Cleveland one-time Indians, then Guardians, uh, now Guardians, I should say, uh, they were wrong. They were just mistaken. Uh, Trump uh, certainly has uh, shown that he took a uh, he took a very uh, a a very big risk in going with J.D. Vance, uh, who was definitely not ahead in the polls. And he went and he got a um, and he brought Vance into a really decisive victory. I mean, if we think about this, uh, Vance was in March, had was tied at 18, according to Fabrizio poll. Um, and then a couple of days later, after Trump endorsement, he was up to he was uh, up to twenty five percent. And then a week later, he was up to thirty one percent. He got thirty two percent in in the end. Uh, another poll, Trafalgar, had Vance at fifteen uh, beforehand, and then uh, they, then he shot up to twenty three, then to twenty six. Uh, Dolan just really became stayed at the twenty mark and just never kind of uh, grew from there, despite the fact that there was this. Uh, perception out there that he was going to somehow become the he was going to take the non-Trump vote the place where he did well was up in the Cleveland suburbs and in Cleveland itself but not and in early voting apparently Uh, Vance carried all but 14 of the state's 88 counties and took everything south of Columbus so it was definitely a decisive win for the Trump endorsement Um, Vance now is uh, going up against Tim Ryan, uh, who is a blue collar guy. You ran for president. You might remember that in 2020. Uh, you might not because a lot of people didn't clearly didn't uh, didn't think so. Um, but if you're looking at this, you know, this is a guy back to uh, back to Vance, uh, author Hillbilly Elegy, Yale Law School, venture capitalist, was backed by Peter Thiel. Um, clearly had a narrative, but also had some statements against the Washington establishment. He basically said, who cares about Ukraine? 
You know, it doesn't matter to us. It doesn't matter to, you know, very isolationist, all old school type of uh, Republican allied himself with, I'm sorry, old school type of isolationist conservative, not old school. And, you know, tied himself to Don Jr., Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, didn't dissociate himself at all. Um, and I think that there was a... Trump apparently tired of Josh Mandel, did not want him anymore. Josh Mandel, having been the former state treasurer, Jewish, um, had been, it was, some people feel a interesting candidate in that he kind of tried to be everything to everyone on the, on the right. Um, but it was definitely something very, very interesting. Um, with, uh, with regard to how, Trump went about taking Vance from a in a very very crowded primary and bringing him to victory. And there's no question about it that this was uh, without Donald Trump's endorsement. I don't think that you would have seen this type of result. Uh, could it have been a very bunched in primary? Uh, perhaps. Now, is this a victory uh, for the Trump wing of the party, or is this a victory for the Tucker Carlson wing of the party? Uh, Tucker Carlson continued to promote Vance. They definitely, uh, you know, Tucker has a brand of politics. Uh, it's a little bit truthfully difficult for pro-Israel Jews to get their arms around. Uh, and those that are believe in um, certainly the things he said about the Russia, Ukraine. And well, look, we'll, we'll save that for a different time. But if that's the uh, that could be the direction in which uh, some, uh, you know, some portions of the Republican Party are headed. Not every state obviously has the same dynamics that we have in um, uh, there. Now, we also have an interesting one up in the northwest corner of Ohio. Um, Air Force veteran J.R. Majewski uh, is a QAnon uh, supporter Trump's super fan who decorated his yard in support of the president and attended the January 6th rally, but says he didn't go into the Capitol. He defeated two state legislators for the Ohio nine nomination. Uh, They split the, I guess, the more moderate Republican vote. Uh, And this district became much more Republican, but it's been held by for 40 years by Marcy Kaptur, who is a Democrat, pro-union Democrat, fits in well with that district. They took the most Democratic counties out of that district. Should be Republican pickup. Now you got to wonder whether the moderate type Republicans who are not stop the steal January 6th QAnon type supporter will go ahead and vote for Majeski. If they're your captor, you have to be thinking, okay, you know, this could work for me. Um, back to Max Miller in the uh, who was at one point challenging Anthony Gonzalez in the 16th district that Gonzalez decided who was one of those who voted for impeachments. Uh, Anthony Gonzalez, a former football star who uh, was a Cuban American was kind of touted as the future of the Republican party. He bowed out, decided he had enough of politics and the, uh, and, and that uh, he was running at one point against Max Miller, but then they redrew the district to make it even more Republican so uh, Max Miller walked away with that. Looks like he will become now Max Miller is interesting because he's had some allegations. Uh, Stephanie Grisham was his former girlfriend in the Trump White House, and she accuses him. Stephanie Grisham wrote a book. She was a communications director in the White House, and she wrote a book saying that uh, Miller uh, uh, abused him. 
Okay. I mean, back to the future of the Republican Party. What do we learn from this? Okay. Well, you know, we got Georgia, we've got Arizona, we've got all kinds of states coming up. Um, and particularly the big one is the Georgia governor's race where Trump is trying to rid himself of Brian Kemp. Will some of these will, what about Pennsylvania? Uh, uh, Dr. Oz against Dave McCormick. These are all coming up and we are now going to see where, and you know, Wyoming, which is Liz Cheney, but that's not till August. So we don't have to worry about that. We will see over the next couple of weeks in the month of May, it was some of these primaries, which how, where the Trump endorsements and how it plays. But so far, so good for the former president with regard to the state of Ohio. Um, and, you know, I'll just end with this. I mean, Larry Hogan, I mean, there are other Republicans trying to keep themselves relevant, um, but said very, very straight up, he does not believe he spoke at the Reagan Library. That seems to be a place where people go. And um, uh, in order to test out their themes, uh, it's a great library, actually, beautiful, uh, out in uh, Simi Valley, California, uh, out in the out in the valley, uh, about an hour outside of Los Angeles. Um, you know, he he said that he does not believe that uh, he basically. Well, let's say this. He take a couple quotes. The truth is, the last election was not rigged and it wasn't stolen. January sixth was not a bunch of overeager tourists misbehaving. And the fact that so many politicians know that, but repeat the lie, is more of the phony politics that has led, has voters so fed up with Washington in the first place. He blasted Biden because Biden said he was going to govern from the center and unite the country, but instead he goes to the far left extremes. True, true, true. We've said this before. And he said the Americans don't just blame the Democratic Party for feeling the country is on the wrong track. They're fed up with divisive politics and the extremes. And then with regard to Trump, I think this is it. He just said, uh, I'm not convinced that Trump will be a candidate. I think it'll be a wide open field, but I think it may just be the opposite of what happened in 2016. There may be 15 or 16 people running in the same lane, fishing in the same pond, just trying to appeal to the Trump voters. And that very well, and that's the line I wanted to get out here. That could be true because it seems that's what happened in Ohio, aside from one candidate who really just who didn't uh, do it with Dolan. Everybody else was trying to out Trump to beat Trump, to get the Trump, get Trump. And uh, one person did it in the end. Um, you know, not always does uh, not always does Trump endorse. He doesn't always necessarily make an endorsement. And we will see where where that goes in, as I said, in the coming weeks. And our last point for this week, we have to discuss the earthquake, the bombshell that came about through the leaking unprecedented leaking of a draft memo for Supreme Court, not draft, draft decision for Supreme Court with that presage the, that might be the overturning of Roe versus Wade and what that'll invite. I mean, what is going to happen to our politics? Does this energize Democrats in 2022, whereas, you know, it was looking like a terrible year? But uh, I just want to close with a statement. I think I put out a very good statement from the OU with regard to because people ask you, you're pro-life, pro-choice. Um, you know, in a way, the firm community is kind of neither. I know there are a lot of people out there who like to say, well, the Jews are this, the Jews are that. But, you know, we're, we're certainly more pro-life, or at least Jewish tradition is more pro-life than it would be pro-choice if you had to choose a side. But certainly if you take and ban all abortion whatsoever that would not be consistent with jewish law and 
I think the OU put out a balanced statement. The Orthodox Union is unable to either mourn or celebrate the news reports of the U.S. Supreme Court's likely overturning of Roe versus Wade. We cannot support absolute bans on abortion at any time, at any time point in a pregnancy that would not allow access to abortion in life-saving situations. That's what I mean. Similarly, we cannot support legislation that permits abortion on demand at any time point in a pregnancy that does not confine abortion to situations in which medical, including mental health professionals, affirm that carrying the pregnancy to term poses real risk to the life of the mother. As people of faith, we see life as precious, a precious gift granted to us and maintained within us by God. Jewish law places paramount value on choosing life and mandates not as a right, but as a responsibility, safeguarding our own lives and the lives of others by behaving in a healthy and secure manner, doing everything in our power to save lives or refraining from endangering others. This concern for even potential life extends to the unborn fetus and to the terminally ill. Abortion on demand, the right to choose as well as the right to die are thus completely at odds with our religious and halakhic values. Legislation and court rulings that enshrine such rights concern us deeply on a societal level. I'm going to leave it there because I think that this is a obviously discussion we'll have to discuss politically and morally and halakhically uh, in the coming uh, times. So that's it for this week here on Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. See you next week. Mm-hmm.